Breaking fake news this morning. A public school teacher has been fired after teaching her students their lives have meaning. Oh dear. From Minneapolis, Minnesota, a local 7th grade teacher has been placed on administrative leave after it was revealed she used class time to tell students their lives are infinitely valuable and have meaning. The ACLU stepped up calls to fire the teacher after several concerned parents came forward to question whether separation of church and state had been violated by the teacher's in-class encouragement. Public schools are no place to promote personal religious beliefs to impressionable young students said the ACLU lawyer who filed the complaint. Science clearly tells us that we are meaningless meat robots spinning in a completely deterministic universe. There is no meaning, no objective right or wrong, no hope and no purpose. Thus saith Darwin, blessings be unto his name. A concerned parent who wishes to remain anonymous said, This talk of meaning and value seems to clearly be a backdoor attempt to sneak religion into our schools. A wall of holy separation between church and state must ne'er be crossed. It has been so decreed by the nine kings who rule with complete justice over the supreme court of the land. May they live forever. At least the progressive ones. The rest can die. While it's not yet clear exactly what words were used in the teacher's alleged religious lecture on school grounds, we know that meaning and value cannot logically be invoked without eventually admitting the existence of some objective truth or transcendent lawgiver. Therefore, it's safe to say that the teacher did indeed attempt to influence her class with religious dogma. Sources say that the teacher's moving speech ignited a fire of light and hope in the hearts of the entire class, prevented eight future abortions and two future mass shootings. School administrators were quickly on hand to deliver doses of Zoloff and Praxel to extinguish said fires of light and hope, before they got too big. Praise be. <laughs> my, my satire is seething. I, <laughs> I, I don't know whether to laugh or cry at half the stuff I write, but uh, this, good morning. I'm, I'm glad you're listening. This is Joel Berry, and you are listening to the Petty Profit Podcast. Okay, so the subject for today is not a pleasant one, um, but it's been something that has just been on my mind for a long time, and I haven't fully fleshed out all of my thoughts and ideas on this, but I, I wanted to get some of it out there. And the subject for today is on mass shooters. Um. I I am I will admit that there is a fascination I have with mass shooters and I'm also equally fascinated by what seems to me to be a a, a very odd lack of curiosity about these people who who commit these horrible horrifying seemingly senseless acts when you think about it you know it's not that we're not curious and obsessed with murder and crime. <laughs> I mean, what are we, we're still talking about O.J. Simpson and uh, Casey Anthony and so many other high-profile murder cases. You know, they'll they'll take up the the news cycle not just for days or weeks, but but years, sometimes decades. Yet with these mass shooters. Doesn't it seem to you, I mean, it seems to me that, you know, it will happen, 
It will get politicized for a couple of news cycles. And then we just forget about it. And, and we move on. We, you know, there's this, there's this general practice now that we don't say the names of these shooters, which I understand why. But at the same time, I, I don't know why we're afraid to say their names. I don't know why their manifestos, the, the crazy things that they write, why are those scrubbed from the internet? Why are we not talking about the books that these young men read? Why are we not why are there not endless TV specials and Netflix series about the broken lives of Adam Lanza or the the Pulse nightclub shooter? There just seem, you know, the Vegas shooter. Who does anybody know who that guy was, the Vegas shooter and what led him to do what he did? Is there any curiosity about that at all? It just seems it's it's bizarre to me. And sometimes I wonder if we prefer to look away because the truth of what is creating these shooters, the truth of what these shooters believe and what is driving them to commit this horror is too convicting to us that maybe it uncovers some some uncomfortable truths about what we're doing as a society, what we're doing in the education of our kids, what we're doing in the continued rejection of God, the continued elimination of religion from public life, the increasing secularization. I don't know. I don't know. But it seems weird that a culture so in love with drama and murder and intrigue and violence for some reason cannot bear to look at the truth of the lives of these mass shooters. You know, and the media is certainly not helping. The media, the media, <laughs> the media makes us dumber with every mass shooting. And, and it blows me away, the lack of curiosity from journalists whose very job description is to be curious, yet they... They will just simply condense the these shootings into some politicized soundbite that will fit in their narrative for that week, and they run with it, and they'll just repeat it a million times. So I want to talk about it a little bit, and you know, I'm certainly not done thinking about it. I'm not done talking about it. I've I've thought many times about actually dedicating another podcast to studying these these mass shooters and, and really learning about their lives and learning what they thought and uh, what led to the, the murders that they committed. But here's my thinking on it so far. And, and my thinking is by no means, you know, it fully developed. But here's kind of what I think. There are two ingredients required to make a mass shooter, at least most mass shooters we see today, the way we see them today. The first ingredient is a, an errant worldview, a horrific worldview, a nihilistic worldview. And the second ingredient is insanity. And what's funny is many of us already coexist very peacefully and contentedly with a horrific worldview. 
Because for those of us who deny the existence of God, the implication of that worldview is indeed horrific. Because without God, our lives are meaningless. Without God, there can be no morality in an objective sense. If we are the result of a meaningless, unguided process that formed us from stardust, then torturing a baby for fun is no different from enjoying a pizza or going to a movie. Now, that statement seems extreme and horrific because, <laughs> because it is. But there is one thing that statement is not, and that is illogical. Now, of course, none of us actually live that way because that would be awful. Most of us live our lives as if good and evil does exist objectively, whether we believe that or not. We, we pretend as if it's true. We live as if it's true. And we let that dissonance lie in the back of our brains like some sort of foggy mystery, and we just try not to think about it too much. But for some, that inconsistency between the moral universe that we observe and the belief in a godless universe, it festers. That, that inconsistency festers like a splinter in the psyche until something must be done about it. And when this happens, we come to a crossroads. And we have three options. The first is we can pursue a path that will eventually and necessarily lead to Christ. Two, we can put a numbing agent on the splinter and try to forget about it for a few more years. Or three, we can choose to embrace pure nihilism. G.K. Chesterton, in his book Orthodoxy, famously asserted that it's not imagination that drives one mad, but rather pure analytical logic. And he said this, he said, The poet only asks to get his head into the heavens. It is the logician who seeks to get the heavens into his head, and it is his head that splits. He made a very good case for the fact that forcing your mind to be completely rational, overly logical, can drive you insane because there is too much mystery in the world. The reality of the world we live in must allow for transcendent meaning, must allow for mystery, must allow for dichotomy. Only the truly insane can afford to be perfectly, consistently logical. The rest of us must find a way to function in a God-created universe full of wonder and mystery. Once we have reduced all the mysteries of the universe into, uh, into a, a material equation that can be worked out logically in our heads— we have set the stage for insanity. Now, we haven't gotten all the way there, but we've set the stage for it. Now, Darwinism set that stage, I think, in 1859. It has since transformed into a meta-worldview that spawned social Darwinism, that spawned thinkers from Frederick Nietzsche to Peter Singer. Peter Singer, a modern philosopher who, by the way, advocates for a the truly insane practice of infanticide, <laughs> his purely rational, logical argument asserts that a, an adult pig is more valuable than a newborn human baby. And while that view is truly horrible, it is logical. These people, these thinkers, have become the new clergy for a replacement religion that began to inhabit the universities before then trickling down to our high schools and then to our elementary schools. And it has infected everything. And for a while, it all seemed harmless because, as I said, no one actually lives as if these horrific philosophies are true because 
<laughs> because, well, most of us aren't insane. These ideas are the luxury of Western thinkers who are living in a society insulated by the Judeo-Christian ethic. But then ingredient number two entered the scene, insanity. By the start of the 1960s and the sexual revolution, American psychologists had internalized the teaching of Darwin, and that led them to treat humans as really, you know, like I said earlier, meat robots, walking bags of chemicals that could be tinkered with to cure all ills of human nature. In the 70s, the population of mental hospitals reached epidemic levels. It was a horrible picture. And then in the 80s, we emptied those hospitals and released the patients into the general population. And then in the 90s, we started drugging them. Now, where are we today? Today, we have Xanax, Zoloft, Celexa, Prozac, Ativan, Deseril, Lexapro, Cymbalta, Welbuterin, Effexor. Now, I, I just listed 10 drugs there. Those, those 10 drugs alone amount to 290 million prescriptions per year in the U.S. alone. 290 million prescriptions per year. And I didn't even list all of the psychotropic drugs that are being prescribed today. I just listed a few of them. Almost every single mass shooter in the last several decades was on one or several of these drugs. Whether it was the drugs that made them insane or some abnormality in their brain or a combination of both, you know, it's not, I'm not sure about that, but it is clear to me that when insanity met nihilism, we then had a growing population of people who were ready to follow nihilism to its logical conclusions. If you can manage to find the manifestos of many of these killers, study the books that they read, what they thought, you will find that there is a cold internal logic to their thinking, and it is all rooted in nihilism. In their own worldview, they they did nothing wrong. In a godless universe populated by nothing but carbon-based animals, a mosque shooting becomes no different than stepping on an anthill or removing an invasive species from Lake Erie. It's horrifying. But it has taken the closed-loop reasoning of the insane to show us just how insane the thinking of our culture has become. And, you know, there, there's also another thread, another common thread that, has, that can be found woven into a lot of these shootings, and that is the threat of Satanism, which, you know, Satanism is really just the religious form of nihilism. The Gilroy garlic shooter in uh, Southern California, you know, anyone, anyone remember that one? seems to be that, that that was maybe, what, three or four mass shootings ago at this point. But that shooter read and recommended a book called uh, Might is Right, um, or The Survival of the Fittest, by an author who went under the pseudonym uh, Ragnar Redbeard. And it was a book that essentially took the thinking of nihilism to its logical conclusion, in that if there is no God, there can be no moral right without strength or power. Might makes right. If we are animals, there is no moral order except Darwinism or survival of the fittest. And taken to its true, insane conclusions, it leads us to some horrible places. That book, by the way, Might is Right, uh, portions from that book comprise the vast majority 
of the Satanic Bible, written by Anton LaVey, who was also, uh, you know, read by the, the Gilroy garlic shooter. This thinking can be found in the manifestos of the, of the Christ Church shooter, of the El Paso shooter, and I wonder why. Why are we afraid to look this in the face? Why are we not dragging this ideology and this thinking out into the sunlight to shrivel and die like it should? It seems to me that if we continue to bury it and suppress it and ignore it, it's just going to continue to fester. And, of course, if we do not turn back to God as a culture, I fear these mass shooters will continue and only get worse. And God forbid we elect one of them to public office someday. I pray that's not what happens before we wake up as a country. That's, that's where my thinking is at so far on mass shooters. I know, a really uh, uplifting topic today. <laughs> and so I, I apologize for, for bringing you down on a Tuesday. Uh, but I hope you found it thought-provoking, and I, I am interested in your thoughts as well. If you have a different opinion, if you think I was way off on something, I encourage you to reach out and, and let me know. Uh, you can always reach me at contact at thepettyprofit.com. You can reach me at the contact form on the website, www.thepettyprofit.com, and I would love to hear from you, and I would love to debate you. Um, come on the show. You know, if, if you think about this stuff as much as I do, um, but you've come to different conclusions, I would love to interview you sometime. So um, before I let you go, I want to say that I am thankful for James Tour. So James Tour is a is a scientist. He is an organic chemist. Um, he is also a Messianic Jew, meaning he believes in the deity of Jesus. He's a Christian, and he is an absolutely brilliant guy doing incredible work in the field of uh, nanotechnology and uh, graphene, which is uh, sheets of graphite that are one molecule thick, and it is, it's the strongest uh, substance known to man at that size that, that we currently have. And so um, the, the, one of the big engineering problems right now is how, how we can mass produce graphene uh, affordably, because if we find a way to do that, we'll be able to build some incredible, incredible things uh, out of that material. So um, James Tour has done some, some brilliant work, and um, he's also a, a lecturer um, about the reliability of the scripture and, um, and the origin of life and, and the current state of origin of life study. And, and what origin of life study is, is it is the attempt by uh, chemists and biologists to determine how life arose from non-life. So, you know, Darwinism tells us how all the species came from a common ancestor, but what it doesn't tell us is how did the first cell come into being. And cells, the more we look at them, the closer we look at them, the more we find that they are incredible, complex, intricate machines full of information and systems and subsystems and um, mechanical, uh, mechanical structures. And they're not the, the, they're not just tiny little balls of protoplasm like Darwin thought. 
And so um, I want to recommend to you uh, a, a very awesome lecture. It, it doesn't, it's not as dry as it sounds. <laughs> it, you know, science uh, lectures, I'm sure, are typically dry. But James Tour, The Mystery of the Origin of Life on YouTube, it's on the Discovery Science uh, channel on YouTube. And I will link to it in the show notes. But uh, what James Tour does in this hour-long lecture is in a very entertaining and just kind of snarky, hilarious way, he just rips apart, <laughs> rips apart any notion that uh, that life could come about uh, through an undirected process uh, out of non-living chemicals, and it's just a thing of beauty. It's and it's great to see a brilliant mind um, on our side, uh, you know, who actually believes in God. You know, the the common misconception is that the smart people. Are atheists and the dumb people believe in God, and and people like James Tour really just blow that out of the water. So check it out. Uh, whether you're a skeptic, a believer, I think you'll find it very interesting and informative. James Tour, the mystery of the origin of life. I am thankful for that guy. He's an awesome guy. Yeah, that is the show for today. So thanks for listening to the Petty Prophet podcast. I really appreciate you. Uh, please like on Facebook. Please share this podcast with your friends and family. Um, I am trying to grow this audience. I know that there are other people who will connect with this content. So uh, thank you very much for liking and sharing. Um, I love you guys, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.